I was very fearful at that point, right? I was fearful of losing my eyesight. I was fearful of the society, fearful of doing anything. So I asked myself, why am I so fearful? Like, what I, what am I going to lose, basically? And I said to myself that I'm losing my eyesight. Almost lost everything. The society makes fun of me, so very few people appreciate me. So, not considered an A star, or no one's having any expectations from me. And then finally, I'm on the verge of committing suicide, so I have no expectations of myself. So I'm like, I'm on the lowest point that I can be at, right? Just death is written, like written behind me, which is in- inevitable. I can't avoid it. So I was like, I'm at the lowest point, and it's only upwards from here. I only have opportunities to grab. I have nothing to lose. That's the first thing that I told myself, and I'm very surprised I told myself that at at that at that age. <laughs> but I did, uh, and that changed my perspective. And that's Karen Anchan on this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. This is another great conversation that really puts life into perspective. I hate to admit it, but I often indulge and ruminate on things that aren't that important. And at the same time, I take for granted so many of the things that are foundational to the great life I'm living. Things like being active, listening to incredible music, tasting great food and wine, and seeing the beauty of this world. Unfortunately, Kieran lost his ability to see the beauty around him when he was a young boy. At the age of nine, Kieran began having challenges seeing what his teacher was writing on the board. Living in the Middle East 15 years ago made it difficult for him to understand what was really happening. He didn't have access to the information or doctors to tell him what was going on. Ultimately, he was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease that over time breaks down cells in the retina, slowly causing vision loss. By 15, Kieran was essentially blind, operating in a harsh world where there were far more bullies and guardian angels. It wasn't until nearly committing suicide that he was able, paradoxically, to find a reason to live. Kieran has become an inspirational young man in a very short period of time. He's only in his mid-20s, but as you'll hear, is grounded, mature, and living a fulfilling life, much more than I was at his age. And he has achieved this while thriving in the corporate world, working of all things as a financial analyst. I still can't wrap my arms around how he makes it all work, but he does so with some pretty darn innovative approaches. If you're struggling with getting beyond a personal or physical setback, Kieran's story is for you. He shows that anything is possible, especially when you build a small network of really close friends, adopt a mindset of what's possible versus what is holding you back, and live life like the precious gift that it is. As you listen to our conversation, pause and really think about what's holding you back in your life that you would benefit from a mindset shift. How do you treat people with limitations or disabilities? Do you hold them back or do you unfairly treat them differently? How can you reframe your setbacks to focus on learning from the journey versus obsessing about the results? This is something that I am personally given a lot of thought to. 
If you're enjoying these conversations, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give Time to Sing Your Song a five-star rating. Please also share your thoughts as well. It really does help in bringing awareness of these awesome stories. Please also share the podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. As I get deeper on this journey, it is becoming clearer by the day that Time to Sing Your Song is a platform for ordinary people to share their stories of how they overcame gnarly obstacles to live a life that they only dreamed about. What's crazy is the variety of stories that are coming at me. I am, though, in the need of more stories. So if you have one or you know somebody that does, reach out to me. Easiest way is to send an email at Mike time to sing your song.com or you can send a direct message on social media mike kearney on linkedin and m kearney 33 on twitter okay let's get to it karen welcome to time to sing your song thank you so much mike i'm so glad to be here you know uh karen when i when i heard your story when you shared it with me it was unbelievably inspirational and my guess is by the end everybody that's listening is going to feel the exact same way so let's start with your story take us back to when you were nine years old a young boy and you lost your eyesight what happened yes mike uh, so rewinding all the way back to 2007 when i was a nine-year-old like all nine-year-olds lived a very carefree life loved cricket, loved swimming, and had decided I'll be a pilot by then. But then things took a big turn, I would say. So in school, I started finding it difficult to read what's written on the whiteboard by the teacher. And at that time, I felt it's pretty normal because I would just go a bit ahead, just kneel down and sit near the, the board and just try to write down everything. And I felt it was pretty normal. It's fine. Um, there's no issue with my eyesight as such. And didn't know what's happening, basically. So never told anyone at home as well. But then one fine day, one of my teachers called my mom to school and told that your son's making a lot of mistakes in just copying notes down from the whiteboard, which is very odd. Mm. So the same day, we rushed to the ophthalmologist who did a few tests and realized that something something is going wrong. Um, I'm talking about 2007, so no internet, no Google, and um, definitely no one to contact and, and see what's happening. Less technology. So at that point, I never knew what's happening. Um, but then after a few years, got to know that I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. Um, wouldn't go into the scientific specifics of this, but then overall, it's a genetic disorder wherein it's said to be hereditary, but in my case, I do not know how it's come to me because no one before me has had this issue. Also, as for retinitis pigmentosa, it's like a gradual process where it tries to take my night vision first and then enters and removes away the central vision at the end and then results in complete blindness. So it's a progressive situation. So when I was nine years old, um, I could read the board when I was a bit close to it, but now, 16 years later, nothing's possible. So what was the time frame where I'm guessing you lost your vision entirely, is that right? Or do you have some vision now? I have very little vision left now, Mike. I would say hardly five to 10%. Um, 
so if you have to imagine how my vision is right now, it's it's more like my night vision is blank. I can't see anything if it's slightly less bright or if it's very dim. Um, and in a perfect daylight situation, I can see through like a butter paper, right? It would have, everything looks hazy for me. I can't identify who's next to me, what's in front of me. It's all hazy. I just know that there's some kind of light, but I can't infer what exactly is around me. So what's your mindset going through that? And the thing that strikes me, and I guess I didn't know the longevity of this, I guess, um, is, is losing it progressively. In some respects, that feels like it would be more difficult because by day, you're almost losing your eyesight. But, but what was that like, especially at nine years old? Yes. Um, there were three main challenges I'll break it into. The first is the eyesight itself. Um, when I was nine years old, I had no clue what a disability means. I just knew that, okay, people get fever, people can have fractures, there are cancers, like deadly diseases out there. But then I never knew that there's something that can happen to the eyesight or ears or listening or anything of that kind. Um, I might have been a very silly kid, I guess, at the age of nine who didn't know that, but um, was not at all aware that this can happen. And when this started happening to me, I didn't know how to react. Um, I was completely lost um, at that moment because no knowledge, and as I said, no internet to search, like what, it, what what's happening with me, plus my relatives, my friends, no one knew what a, a deteriorating eyesight means. So it was very tough to even reach out to someone and tell that, hey, I'm, I'm not able to read or see something that's happening around me. Was your doctor able to diagnose what was going on? Not at that time. So I spent my entire childhood in the Middle East um, at that time. And the city where I lived in had pretty limited technology to diagnose what exactly happened with me. Um, And at that time as well, there was very limited information on retinitis pigmentosa. Like now there's more awareness, but at that point of time, it was very limited. So it was just told to me that you're going to lose your vision over time. That was the only thing that was told to me. And I, as a kid, didn't know how to react. I didn't know what's going to even happen to me. And as time passed, I could clearly notice the deterioration in my eyesight. Um, kept losing it day by day, month by month. Over years, I could notice, like, I couldn't read the board. Then slowly, I couldn't identify colors. Then I struggled in darkness. I realized then I can't even see people around me um, as time progressed. I think the worst deterioration happened for me was in um, 2012, 2013, when I was like around 14, 15 years old. I think within six months, I lost majority of my eyesight. It was a clean sweep. Uh, I could clearly notice the change that happened just within six months time. It was too drastic. And that um, put me in a very bad state of mind those six months. Um, so that was one hey, issue. Hey, Karen, before we move on, um, a couple of things. One is you're going through this. I'm basically restating what you just said, but I just want to make it clear for everybody that you're losing your eyesight 
and you don't necessarily know why. And you also indicated before that you didn't even necessarily know what a disability was. And so you're going through this with very little knowledge of what's happening. Yes. Yes, Mike. Um, no knowledge at all what's happening, what I'm going through. Um, and that brought me to the second issue was the society because I had no one to talk to um, and tell openly that, hey, I'm here and I'm, I'm struggling. Just just putting my hand up and saying, because um, mom was too sensitive about it. I mean, she got to know that this is happening to me. She didn't receive support similar to my case, like no friends, no relatives just came and just told like, hey, we're here. Everyone just openly just told like, we don't have anyone who's had an eye issue before, so we can't help you out with this. And everyone just lifted your hands up. Um, wow. Society was very harsh on me, to be honest, because in school, everyone's immature and everyone took a step Took, took a stab to make fun of me. Um, people would impersonate the way I read because since I couldn't read, um, as I said earlier, I used to go really close to the textbook. Like my face would be literally touching the, the, the sheet. And everyone used to impersonate the way I used to read. Many people would openly scream out blind. Um, I don't mind people calling me blind, but it's about the tonality in which it's told to me. Um, someone would just point, like, tell me, okay, oh, and there's a chair out there, but there would never be a chair, and I'd just fall down. <sighs> so, a lot of bullying, I would say, in school. Um, and this, it, it keeps going on. It, it, it was there even when I was searching for a job. The employers were very open to tell me that I, I feel you have all the knowledge, Kiran, but then with this eyesight, no one's going to give you a job in the entire world. Um, in fact, I, I was searching for a job for two years, 23 rejections. Um, and then finally now, I'm happily working with a pretty big corporation um, all over the world. And you're in India now, right? Yes. Yes, I'm in India now. So I've been to India many times. Were there any unique aspects that you think are particular to India, or you also indicated the Middle East, meaning that if you had experienced this maybe in a Western country versus India, do you think there were any stark differences? I wouldn't say there would be much difference between um, the two. It would be almost the same because when you go back 2007s or early 2010s, um, there's not a lot of awareness regarding the disability any disability for that matter. Right. So I feel it would have been the same any country I would have been in. Um, and now the situation is much better. Let me, like I can speak for, let me say Oman, where I was in, or even in India where I'm now. Was there, was there somebody that was there for you? It sounds like obviously your friends or not even friends, the kids in school were not very nice. Your mom was trying to deal with it. Uh, you probably your extended family didn't know what was going on, as you indicated. Was there somebody that ultimately came into the picture that that was really important to your progress and to figuring all of this out? Definitely my mom. Um, your mom. So, Always the mom. 
Yeah, the toughest mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the beginning, yeah, she was very concerned and she was taken aback by this issue. But then, later on, she made up her mind that, come what may, I have to become something in life. Um, and she understood for that she has to sacrifice a lot of things. She has to prioritize me over my sister or or other tasks that she's doing. But she was open to do that. She was always there and she will always be there with me um, going forward as well. Um, in how every did that sense. impact your relationship with your, your brother or your sister? I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have, but did it impact your relationship with them? Um, I have just one sister, elder one. Okay. And um, she was in India when I was in the Middle East, so pretty distant. But then as time progressed, she also realized that I'm having this issue and I need help. And she's always been a pillar of strength next to my mom for sure. Um, let it be in me doing a project where I'm finding it difficult to make a PPD when I was in school or just navigating things through, or even the mental aspect, which is a very, very big aspect of mine. That was something that I feel my sister inculcated a lot into me. So she as well was a big pillar of support. And I had one best friend of mine in school um, who was always standing by my side. Days were bad, very bad, and even worse. Uh, they were hardly good days for, I think, six to seven years straight. But this best friend of mine, day in, day out, was always there with me through the tough times. And things then started easing out, met a few more better people in the course and even in college, and then finally, even at work, um, been very fortunate to meet very amazing people who understand me completely who know I have this uniqueness within me, but then who also value and acknowledge the diversity in thoughts and ideas and, and work that I bring. Was there a moment, I mean, it sounds like obviously things are going better now and we are going to cover that, but was there a moment when you almost lost hope? Yes, Mike. Um, so the first five years were very bad uh, once I was diagnosed with this, um, because first it was deteriorating eyesight constantly. I didn't know how to cope with it. I would say I couldn't even accept that this is happening to me. Um, so that was one aspect. The second was a society. And finally, it was me itself. I think what the society told me, the way my eyesight deteriorated, I took that very personally to myself. If someone told me something that, you know, hey, Kiran, you're good for nothing, I actually believed that. And um, it affected me very negatively. And a lot of things kept building up. I kept crying those five years, day in, day out. And eventually there came a tipping point, I would say, Mike, where um, there's a silly incident which happened. Um, I used to play soccer. I know a blind person should never play soccer, but I did. <laughs> being, being very careful, I used to never run. Um, I knew I should just walk around and then just 
try using my kicks and everything to make sure that you know, I score a goal. Not much okay. with running around. So I just tackled someone and the other player bumped into me. Now he bumped into me and he fell down. No one got hurt, but then his mom came on the street and started screaming that I'm a psychic, I've lost my brain, people like me shouldn't exist in this world, um, and told a lot of rude things, and everyone on the street are just laughing at me. I can hear everyone giggle. Wow. I just left that place. Did, they, did she know you were, you were essentially blind? No, no, she didn't know. She didn't. Interesting. She didn't. But at that moment, I, I, I was completely destroyed. Um, because everything just piled up. Right. All the frustration of the five years, there were a lot of personal issues at home as well. Everything piled up. And I was pushed to commit suicide. Um, as well as, as I said, like when I was 14 years old, my vision was deteriorating drastically. So this was the same time frame. So the same day after this incident happened by this... Um, player's mom, I was destroyed. I came home. I grabbed a knife in my hand and was ready to end my story at that time. But at that time, just one voice spoke in my head, and that was my mom's voice, which screamed, no, don't do this to yourself. And my my hand slipped and I dropped the knife down. I cried, cried, cried. And for two weeks, I didn't speak a word. I didn't speak to my mom. I didn't speak to anyone. But then those two weeks, I must say, made me think a lot about myself. Mm. I think a lot of things I was getting wrong in the last five years before this incident happened. And why I'm saying wrong is because if I'm going to commit suicide, definitely there's something wrong, right, in my mindset. Right. Right. So I felt I need to fix everything that I'm doing right now to be in a state where I can live a life um, that my mom wants to, that I want to, uh, that everyone wants to aspire to be. Um, and I felt at that moment that I can't die, right? I held a knife, but then my mom's voice stopped me in my head. So it's never going to happen again. And I have to find out ways to improve and to be the person she wants me to be. I'm curious, Kieran, um, there's a lot of questions I'm going to have later about, you know, what you learn and what you do, but I think this is an important point in this conversation about the fact that things got so bad that you thought about taking your life. And what what's interesting to me is you were doing things. I mean, here you are playing soccer uh, where you have limited or really no eyesight. So that's something to, you know, congratulate you on. But then this incident happened. But then um, you decided because you heard your mom not to take your life. And unfortunately, nowadays, there's a lot of people that get to that same point. And sometimes people do take their lives. So if somebody was listening to this that was really down and even suicidal, what would you tell them? One thing that I've realized, Mike, is that we are very fortunate to be human beings and to live this life the way we can, right? Relationships, um, emotions, 
and experience the nature on its own. So when we ever get low, we must realize how gifted we are at the same time. I agree everyone's going through a lot of pain in their life, but then it's important to realize that it's a gift that we have got from God or the universe, and everything happens for a good reason. We may not realize it at that moment, but then after some time, we do realize it that whatever happened, happened for a reason. And the other thing that I would definitely say is never, ever lose self-belief. Like, you can lose everything. Um, lose discipline, lose time management, lose everything, but never, ever lose self to, self-belief. It's the most important thing that we can hold. It can do miracles if we just believe in ourselves. How did you get to a point, though, where you're young, you're being ostracized by your friends and community, and then ultimately you determine that life is a gift? And one would argue that's kind of odd because it may be a gift, but you're obviously <laughs> dealing with something really difficult. How did, you, how did you get to that point where you realize that, that life truly is a gift, even though you're battling these challenges? Um, I would say once I changed my mentality towards looking towards the disability, it changed my perspective. It gave me a lot more purpose in what I want to achieve, how I want my life to be planned out. Um, so that gave me a lot more clarity. And the other thing that, that made me feel life as a gift is the people I met post the suicide um, the suicide trial, I have to say. Um, Do you think you opened yourself up then to people that may have been there before you just weren't willing or open to connecting or engaging with them? Yes, I did, but not with the same people who made fun of me. But over the course, organically, I met people somehow. Um, met people at school, met people at college, who I just struck a bond with automatically, um, and even at work. So just met amazing people along the way who kept teaching me nuggets of life. I learned from them, and that's what made me feel that life is a gift. There are challenges. Everyone's going to have challenges, but then there's no fun without challenges is what I realized. Right? Just just imagine a roller coaster, right? If the roller coaster does not go fast up and down, there's no fun of the ride. And the same thing goes with life. Life is fun only if there are challenges. There's no fun if it's a straight oh. line. I, you just hit on something <laughs> that is probably my number one core belief, and that is that you can't live a good life if you haven't had obstacles to overcome. Um, which this is a great segue, because what I really want to talk to now about now is is some of the things that you did to overcome the challenges. So it sounds like this this moment where you almost committed suicide and you had this complete mindset shift uh, was a seminal moment in your life. Um, and then it also sounds like you began to uh, open yourself to meeting new people who were giving you these insights into life. So I wanna just start there, just you know, with some of these folks that you, you engaged with. Is there somebody, and you don't need to, call out their name, but is there an interaction that you had where you really did pull away a nugget? I'm really curious about maybe what are some of those insights or perspectives that they may have shared that have lasted uh, with you to this day? 
So there was this one conversation I had with my sister, which I still remember, I would never forget, is where she told me that life is hard. It's hard for everyone. It's hard for me. I can't see. I can't do a lot of things. But then, Kiran, it's about how do you get out of this? Hmm. How do you be independent? How do you say you can do it? And I feel just those three lines still stick in my head, still tell me that I can do everything I can. There's nothing that can stop me. What I find interesting, I, I, I always try to pick out words because I would imagine as a 13 or 14 year old kid or whenever this conversation happened, the idea of independence probably was pretty damn scary for you, <laughs> but that almost put a vision out there like, hey, Kieran, you can live an independent life on your own. Yes, it did, did put that... a vision. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah, what was your reaction to that word independence? Because I would imagine at the time you're like, you know, I need help. I can't do this on my own. At that point of time, I somehow didn't understand what independence means, but had a vague idea of where I want to go. And that's my first nugget or my first perspective that I set that I need to set a mantra or a vision where I need my life to go, right? A purpose. And my purpose became that I want to be an individual who is not a burden to anyone, who can be independent and wants to create an impact for the society. So this is my vision. This is my mantra that I set um, over years and definitely have, have improvised it. What, what impact do you want to make? Um, I've been through this 16 years and still continuing. And how much I've learned from this, the same time I've, I've been challenged um, that much from this disability and everything else that comes along with it. Uh, so it lo- puts a lot of pressure on anyone um, who may be in my state, like someone else who's having a disability, let it be blindness or deafness or any, any else. Um, but my focus is that I should be able to help someone else who's going through the same and make them live a life that they aspire to. That's one thing. And and it's not specially able, I would say. It's even people who are just going through a lot of things and I can just be there in that moment and help them out. It can be financially, it can be just by words or just by being there with someone, just not saying anything, but just being there. And that's the impact I want to create. And that's my ultimate vision, um, if you will. And, and when you're in that position to be there, whether you're sharing advice and guidance, helping somebody out, or just, you know, being there just in, in spirit, what does that do for you now, personally? Um, honestly, I am someone who does not look at my personal objectives and what I want to get out of something. Um, it's something I, I truly want to do out of complete this self-interest. I do not want to have any self-interest while doing such an activity with anyone, let it be a friend or, or an unknown, just to want to do it selflessly. You may want to do it selflessly, but do you believe that that's part of your, not recovery, but 
the way in which you're able to navigate this life and feel like you're making an impact? Because because what I would argue is while it may you may be doing it selflessly, I would think that somebody that's in your position, which I've never been, but I have been in a position where I've gotten knocked on my ass and and used opportunities to help others. And it does make me feel like I'm giving back based on the experiences that I've had. And it makes me feel, I don't know, fulfilled, I guess, if you will, more so than many other things. Is there is there a belief that you've got that because now you're putting yourself out there and helping people that it's helping you live a life that's purposeful, meaningful, and maybe even fulfills you? Um, yes, I would definitely say yes. A definitely more meaningful life by helping people out, by being there. Because um, when I was going through a rough patch, there were people who were there with me. Even though just three or four, but there were. Um, I can easily think that they also could have just left their hands and said, hey, Kiran, just live alone, <laughs> right? But they didn't. Right. They stayed with me. Um, and I definitely appreciate and acknowledge that support that I received and want to give back the same for someone else who may have the same issue or something else, but just be there um, eventually for them. Yeah, it's weird that in certain respect, in order to heal, you need to help which seems so incongruent because it's like, well, actually I need help, but it feels like, and, and it's not just through your story, it's through others um, that I've had in my own personal experiences that, you know, those times where we're really struggling, paradoxically, when we help other people, it actually makes us better in the end. And I think, I think that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Obviously, I think the thing that is inspirational to me is that you're not doing it because this is the outcome you're looking for but I do think it helps us on our journey. And, and the reason why I'm raising this is that if somebody is struggling right now, the last thing that's probably going through their mind is, Hey, if I help somebody else, it may actually help me in my situation. And I think that's oftentimes the case. Yes, I would agree with that as well as I've made incredible friends just by this. Mm. Like I've met a lot of my friends um, who have been down and out and just help them out, just being there with them. And they're doing great now. So, Is there somebody you think you've come across that you wouldn't have? Everyone who I've been very close to. I'm not close to many people, I would say. It, it's max to max six to seven people. But then I would never be close to them if I didn't have the disability. Like the, the latest example would be Maria, who brought us together, right, to do this mm. podcast. Yep. Uh, she's had a big impact on me. And I would definitely say that I wouldn't have been so close to her if this disability wasn't there. So that's, that's an advantage or a pro of me being disabled, I guess. What I find, I don't know if this is true for you, but um, in my darkest times is where I oftentimes create my deepest relationships, meaning not surface level. I don't like surface level friendships, relationships. Yes. I like where I could really share what's going on and, and I can have a real conversation with somebody. And so for me, and I'd be curious if this is the case for you, is that I think I have found that in my most challenging times is where I create my best relationships. I agree. I completely agree. Like, I got very close with my mom, my sister, and my best friend during the toughest times because, one, they were there with me all the while, talking to me, advising me, helping me. So we became very close. Um, so I definitely agree with that. 
Is there something that you tried that in retrospect didn't work? Like something that you thought would have been a path to take that, you know, if I were to do it all over again, I wouldn't. That's an interesting question. Um, I feel in the beginning, I tried to be someone else who I wasn't. What I mean by mm. that is I tried to pretend that everything is good in front of the world and I have no eyesight issue. I'm like everyone else. And I feel that's the biggest mistake I committed. You weren't true to yourself. I like that. What about something that in retrospect surprised you, whether it was in the moment or upon reflection, something that you did or something that uh, allowed you to continue to heal that had a positive impact on your life? Like, wow, that actually really, <laughs> really helped me. Is there anything there? Yes. Um, the two weeks after the, the suicide attempt, I feel I would never expect that I would have done that when I look back on it. But then these two weeks were enlightening for me in, in many ways. When I say enlightening is that I took a step back at that moment and started thinking and jotting down notes, like, what am I doing wrong? Um, the first thing that I identified that's a big flaw in me is that I'm very fearful. I was very fearful at that point. Right? I was fearful of losing my eyesight. I was fearful of the society, um, fearful of doing anything. So I asked myself, why am I so fearful? Like, what, I, what am I going to lose, basically? And I said to myself that I'm losing my eyesight, almost lost everything. Um, the society makes fun of me. So very few people appreciate me. So not considered an A star or no one's having any expectations from me. And then finally, I'm on the verge of committing suicide. So I have no expectations of myself. So I'm like, I'm in the lowest point that I can be at, right? Just death is like written behind me, right. um, which is in inevitable. I can't avoid it. So I was like, I'm in the lowest point and it's only upwards from here. I only have opportunities to grab. I have nothing to lose. That's the first thing that I told myself. And I'm very surprised I told myself that at, at, that, at that age. <laughs> but I did. Uh, and that changed my perspective completely, right? From a negative mindset, I'm now looking forward, um, looking at the positive side of life. And that helped me push myself ahead. And I told myself again at that time that things will go bad. Just by changing my mindset, nothing will change overnight. But I will keep giving it my best shot. I said, there'll be good days, there'll be bad days. But one thing that I want to give in day in, day out is that I should be giving my 100%. There should be positive intent and no regret. Um, I did crash after that too. I did have failures. I crashed in academics. But then I always kept this mindset that failures will happen, success will come. But then my focus should be on what I'm learning. And I felt mm. I learned each and every day something new from people around me, from things around me. And and basically from the surroundings, like life is the best tutor is what I feel. And I was just trying to be the best student at that time. 
and still being. It feels like, yeah, well, we're all trying to be, but it feels like you were in that dark spot and what surprised you was asking the questions that maybe you hadn't asked at that point, up until that point in time, meaning those really tough, you know, life uh, challenging questions. Um, and I'm curious, you know, once again, I always think about how can we learn from other stories? And it took almost committing suicide for you to get to that point. Um, but I'm curious because I do think asking yourself and almost meditating on the tough questions is probably one of the most important things that you can do to gain clarity and gain an understanding of where you want to go in life. How did those questions come to you? Like, was it in the moment where you're like, gosh, I really need to start to, I don't know, think about the things that are holding back or the things that I'm, I'm fearful of. Like, was it organic or do you have any, I don't know, thoughts or guidance for people that are struggling that you know, may not be at, uh, maybe not be suicidal at this point in time, but need to ask, you know, these type of questions. What would you tell them? Um, to be honest, it was completely organic when it happened to me mm. um, because I was at the verge of committing suicide. And, and one thing, what I can tell you when anyone or like in my case, when I was holding that knife, it just clears out your head completely, right? All the negativity goes out because at that moment, survival instinct creeps in. Mm. And the negativity, negativity just rushes out. There's nothing, there's nothing. It's just a blank slate in my head at that moment. So whatever thoughts come at that time, you're all survival instincts. And right. that's where the mind told me that, why are you so fearful? Because the mind doesn't want to die. <laughs> so I feel that could be a reason. Yeah, it's interesting because the alternative to where you were at at that moment in time would have been death. Yes. And I'm guessing probably you began to figure out that's, that's not a path I want. And so let me begin to ask the hard questions so that I could figure out a life that I do want. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I knew this path is a tougher path, right? <laughs> Committing suicide is the easier right. one. I knew right. this is a harder one, but I am ready to go on this. Um, not for me, at least, at least for my mom. So decided I will take this hard route. There will be challenges. There will be failures. There will be success as well someday. But then... I want to march on this. Let's see where life takes me. How did you get comfortable sharing this story of almost committing suicide? Because, I mean, it's probably one of the most vulnerable things one could share. Was that a process to get there where you were able to, you know, and I, maybe this is the first time you've shared it. I don't know. My guess is probably not. But how did you get comfortable with sharing it? Um, yeah, I've, I've spoken about this a few times before, not many times, but a few times with my close ones and a few other places. But the reason why I'm comfortable talking about my suicide experiment or even just the entire experience of being visually impaired is that I then told myself that this is me. Um, mm. This is who I am. I can't change what's happened. And everyone has their own story. And this is my story. There are flaws. There are weaknesses, but then there are good things as well. And by the end of the day, the most important thing is that this is me. Well, first of all, I'm 
very appreciative that you are sharing the story. And, and one of the things that I've found doing this podcast and these interviews is that it's through these stories that you're able to heal other people. And so while you know, maybe it is a challenge uh, raising kind of everything that's happened to you, my guess is you're probably going to get a flurry of calls and messages about how you personally, by sharing your story, is helping other people. So thank you for that. I'm curious about setbacks because we live in a society now where if something bad happens, like just use school or work, you know, maybe you didn't get an A or the boss gives you constructive feedback. It's like, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart, um, which obviously it's not. And it sounds like one of the things that you've been able to do is to learn how you deal with setbacks. Um, can you talk about how you look at, I don't want to say failure, but how you look at setbacks and, and how in the moment where something may not be going as you, you know, would hope, how do you deal with it? Right. Um, this is something I think I've learned in the last three or four years, something more recent. Um, never look at the result. Focus on the process. What I mean by that mm. is that we get so result-oriented, right? Like, we all want to be toppers and A-grades in school or college. At work, we all want awards and promotions. We're looking at results, if you see here. But then I said, I don't want to look at results anymore. I want to look at the journey. I want to see what I learn in the process and how do I get the most out of what I have right now in my hand. Um, so what I mean by that, I can give an example, like right now from this podcast, right? The result could be that so many people listen to this and um, it, it becomes a very famous podcast someday. But then what I am looking at this podcast as is I just want to have a normal learning conversation with you. I learn from you, learn, you learn from me. Um, and that's it. It's just about learnings. Like when we right. succeed, we will be happy from what we learned. When we fail, we'll be sad from what we learned. But at the end of the day, the denominator has to be learnings. If you're not learning every day, I think we're doing something very wrong. And yeah. how do we deal with failure? I think for me, at least, failure has taught me more than success. Um, like committing suicide. Right? I, I would ask you, has success really taught you anything? I, that's my argument. Like <laughs> when, 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 when you do something well, do you step back and go, oh, look at all that I learned that I'll change or do better in the future? You don't. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like you, you, you only do it when you get knocked on your ass, I say. Yes, I agree with that. Um, so failures are needed. Um, that's how we become yeah. a better professional, a better person, and, and most importantly, a better human being. Absolutely. Hey, Karen, what does is, what is a day in your life look like now? Because, I mean, let's be honest, I can't imagine, especially working kind of in a white-collar environment where it's all about uh, information, um, you know, discerning information, communicating information, um, coming up with ideas. How do you do that, you know, in the state you're in? So, like, what does life look like for you? Um, right now, I am working in one of the biggest firms, and my work's oriented towards financial planning and analysis. So, as the name sounds, there's a lot of Excel, 
because I like to do the work. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, I want you to get into like, how do you actually do that? Like, I'm just trying to like figure out like, um, yes. are there special programs or what's the what's the way in which you are able to be effective? Yes. So one thing is is getting the mindset right. Right. The second thing is now leveraging tools and techniques that can help me to be a better um, student or a better professional at work. So I use a lot of technology in my day-to-day life. Um, so while using the laptop, I use screen readers, which reads out what's on my screen. Uh, that helps me na- navigate through everything that I'm working through. That's one set of technology aspect. The other aspect is I've built a lot of in-house tools. Now, when I say in-house tools, they're mm. like within me. like Because I realized I can't see but there's just one census. Like I have five more other sense organs which can help me compensate for what I don't have. And that's where I started using muscle memory. Um, so for majority of, of people who are facing any impairment issues, the first thing that they would lean on is muscle memory. So when I mean muscle memory, it's more like when we do repeated actions, automatically things get memorized. Things get into our subconscious mind and we start doing it without knowing. So made all my daily tasks very standardized um, because earlier I would say I would spend one hour searching for a TV remote in the house. Like I would not know where it is. And I'm just scrambling my hands through the sofa, the tables and everything. Um, But then I made it so standardized that everything is at its place. Like there'd be things, there'd be what I do. So that streamlines a lot of things I do. And now the focus moves to a lot of moving objects. Now, when I say moving objects, it's more about people, right? Because people are not going to be sitting in one place. How do I identify who I'm talking to, who's sitting next to me? So that's where hearing is one aspect that I brought in, identifying people's voice. I use my memory, memory a lot for this, where I just memorize people's voice. Once they tell me, I memorize, okay, um, this is Mike's voice. Um, mm. And I would never forget it. So voice helps me, plus other clues. Like if you have a keychain and we're in person, I would know, okay, this is Mike's keychain. So Mike's coming towards me, mm. for example. Uh, it could be smell. It could be the person's perfume, which helps me out. Um, and now since we're virtual, these other aspects don't help me a lot when I interact with my colleagues. So there comes my A-star tool, which I, I call it, and it's anticipation. Um, so I'm someone who loves psychology. As you know, like I was on the verge of committing suicide, so a lot of thoughts went through, became more stronger. At least I believe I, I, believe I became more stronger. Um, so I, I like reading psychology and understanding what people do. And that helps me in anticipating what people are going to do during a call. What I mean by that is I observe a lot. I speak less. I observe a lot what people are doing in the calls, what their character traits are. Some people will be proactive, some reactive. Some people like jumping through Excel sheets. Some people don't. So I understand that and figure out and make an imagination in my head of what the Excel sheet is. 
So I'm basically building like a secondary universe or metaverse, as we call it now, in my mind, where I'm building an Excel sheet just based on what the person's saying on the call and how much I've observed from them. What are they talking about? So it's all about anticipation nowadays. So it's just trying to be ahead of the game, I would say. I, I love this because so many of the things that you have talked about are what I would say limitations in the way that I operate. Really hearing and listening, right? Anticipating all of these different attributes that make somebody very effective that oftentimes are limiting and, and quite frankly are things that we oftentimes will give feedback to people on. Like, you know, if you are in a conversation, focus. Don't be distracted by everything that's going on. And it sounds like what you've been able to do is take one of your limitations, the lack of eyesight, and you've been able to develop other capabilities that you may otherwise wouldn't have. Yes, yes. Definitely I wouldn't have focused so much on listening. Anticipation yeah. is is a far thought, I guess, if, if I had good yeah. eyesight, I guess. I mean, I think it's a really important point. It goes back to this whole idea that, you know, we all are struggling with something and we all have a limitation. Yours is just probably more obvious than most, but how do you use that limitation to build capabilities that you otherwise yes. wouldn't? And I think that's a great way to reframe you know, the disability that you have or the limitation, I'll say, that you have. Yes, yes. Hey, hey Karen, beyond the obvious, um, what is something that you'd want people to know about you and this could be like what your daily life looks like or a challenge a challenge you may encounter that people just you know may not take into consideration or maybe it's a god this is going to be a pun but a blind spot for them but is there something that people just don't get or maybe it's not obvious to them um most of the times mike whoever i meet um it's very hard for them to actually understand what I'm going through, uh, being very honest. Um, reason being that no one's been in my shoes, right? So I completely understand their perspective. Um, so it's very hard for, for most of the people who I meet to actually relate to what I'm going through or what I need. But one thing that I do face from a few, not from many, is that obviously social bullying still happens, but um, there's a lot of reluctance to just speak and tell me things because honestly, I'm someone who's very open. Um, this podcast is an example, right? I'm, I'm openly talking about myself out here. Um, but then many people are just reluctant to ask me a question. Like I, I can make out, I can anticipate, they want to ask me, it's on the tip of their tongue, but they don't want to. So um, that's the only request or I would say I want someone to do. Just be open with me. I don't mind. Are you, are you saying, do they treat you differently sometimes, do you think? No, not differently. They're in the middle ground. They do not know um, how to react, right? Uh, it, it's surprising, right? For anyone. If I get on a call and I say, hey, I'm, I'm visually impaired, they're suddenly thinking, what do I do now, right? Do I step back and say, do you need help? Or, or would he feel offended if I say, do you need help, <laughs> right? In my case, I'm open to both. Um, but one thing which I want everyone to do with anyone who's specially able 
is give love and respect. That's the minimum that we want, that any special evil mm. person wants. We're not looking to be differentiated, right? Just because I am blind, I do not want someone to be more appreciative or more loving to me. Be equal to everyone. And it's just being open. Um, if I need help, I will openly ask. But then just having that open conversation where I can just say that this is what I'm going through and the other person understands what I'm going through. That's it. That's the only expectation. So one of the things I've heard um, with folks that you know have challenges is that they want you to ask, especially maybe kind of you know what some of the limitations or even the backstory of what happened is is that true or not? Like, are you are you okay if somebody were to say, "Hey, um, you know, it seems like you've got some limitations. What happened? Are you okay with people asking you, or is that something that?" you don't want them to to touch on? I'm absolutely open for anyone to ask me that. Because I feel if they don't ask, it creates ambiguity. Like, right. I'm not clear. They're not clear. And it's just like some kind of misunderstanding happening in the middle. So I'm very much open to discuss. I think what happens, Kieran, because I could put myself in the same situation, is that um, maybe I wouldn't want to offend you or maybe I wouldn't want to bring something up that you don't want to talk about. I mean, we oftentimes are counseled, you know, not to to talk about things that would make people feel uncomfortable. What I hear you saying is that, you know, maybe that creates some of that hesitancy in people engaging yeah. with you. And if they would just be direct, it would be nice. Yes. It's just about being direct and, again, packaging the message in the right way, right? If someone's just going to oh. come knock my shoulder off and say, hey, why are you blind? <laughs> that's that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> but if somebody had empathy and said, hey, listen, yes. um, what happened? You'd be okay with that? I would. Definitely, I would. Because I know they're coming from a good place. What about somebody asking you, and let's talk about this at work, a, a thing to do, making a request. Kieran, could you do that financial analysis or can you get me that number or whatever it is in the world that you operate? How do you think about that in comparison to them asking somebody that's at the same level that has the same job title? What's your perspective on them not holding back on the same request that they would have for somebody else? I love that. I literally love when there's no discrimination, right? Um, right. That's what I have in my team. Um, no one differentiates me that, oh, Kiran, you can't see, so you get the easier task. No one does that. I get the same equivalent task that anyone else would get. In fact, sometimes better. <laughs> My boss gives me much better tasks, I feel, at sometimes. But then that's what I love because I'm in an environment where I feel that like I'm being judged not for my eyesight, but for the other aspects that I'm bringing on the table, and I feel valued. Right. I think that's a really important point because I think there's a lot of people out there and I would put this potentially, I'd hate to say this, but I could put myself in that camp. It's like, Oh God, poor guy. He can't see, you know, let me figure out the things that I should give him. Like I'm almost the arbiter of what you can do. And that's the wrong way of going about it. And it's treating you equal. And if there's, you know, assistance or help or something that you need in order to perform the task that you will be in the position to tell me, but don't be the arbiter of what they can and can't do is what I hear you saying. Uh, yes, Mike. In fact, in the beginning, when I just joined this team, the first thing I told my teammates is that I am visually impaired and I have just one request. Don't treat me differently. 
that's my only request. I have no special accommodations or anything else. I just have one request. Don't treat me differently. That's great. That's great. What gives you joy nowadays? I, I, I would say the life. Uh, this, is, this is what gives me joy. There are challenges now as well. There are tough days now as well. But I'm very grateful for what I've learned over the course um, and still learning. The people I meet, I feel this is my real joy. And I want to take it a step notch, as I said earlier, by having such conversations with more and more people, being there for them. That's that's my key um, aspect. Because as I said, I was fortunate to have two, three people with me during my tough times. And now I want to be that person with other people during their tough times. Um, and I've been fortunate that I've been able to do it for like a few people, but then I don't want to stop. I want to help as much as people I can. This is going to be the most unfair question ever. <laughs> um, so you don't need to answer it. But if you're to roll the clock for 10, 15, 20 years, what impact do you really want to make? Mm, I would say seeing, when I say seeing, not like the literal thing, but just the happiness, <laughs> feeling the happiness of multiple people being impacted just by what I've done to them, like help them out, right? Um, it doesn't give me satisfaction. It should not give me fulfillment. As I said earlier, I want to do it completely selflessly. But I just want to have that impact because when I feel um, like, you know, we all are privileged to be human beings is what I feel. We could have been an animal as well, right? <laughs> um, but when we are a human being, it's important that we create an impact on society at the end of the day. We all work, we all have responsibilities, we all have obligations, but then it's all personal things. There has to be something that has a wider impact on everyone. And that's what I believe I should do. I should pass on the knowledge that I have gained to someone else. As someone else passes on the knowledge to me and then take nuggets and, and then make the society a better place to live in. That's what I look 15, 20 years down the line. Beyond everything that you've said, what is something that somebody can learn from your experience that would benefit them when they're going through a hard time? One thing I would definitely recommend was would be embrace challenges. What I mean by that is when we are thrown into the deep side, we just think about the negatives. We say, oh, it's so tough. Um, how do I get out of this? But then let's change the mindset and let's say, lovely, I'm getting a challenge today and this is an opportunity for me to shine. Best way to do that is believe in yourself. Believe in the strengths we have and say to yourself that yes, I can. Nothing can stop me. We all have weaknesses, right? Like my weakness is out there open. I can't see. Um, but if I just focus my complete attention on my disability, I'll go nowhere in life. I have to focus on strengths. And I recommend the same to everyone else. Focus on the strengths 
And again, please do not be result oriented. Enjoy the process. Like when I, mm. I, I used to even teach students when I was studying, like to help them out better again. And I used to just give one advice is don't go to the exam room thinking you're going to fail and what the result will be and all. Go there as a party. Go there in. Like you're going to enjoy a party for three hours and come out happy. Yeah. Things will be bad. Things will be good. But learn something every day. Yeah, I think one of the key things that you're saying, even beyond the belief aspect, which I, I completely agree with, is that you need to take action. And I think, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. One of the things that I oftentimes see is that when people are in a hard situation, getting even to the point where they believe, oh, I could create a better life or I could do something better is one thing, but actually doing it in my experience is maybe even more important because one of the things that I've found is the second you take action, you get insight or you get uh, information. Maybe is a better way of saying it. Oh, that worked really well. Let's keep doing it. Oh, that didn't work so well. Uh, let's adjust. But if you're not acting and you're not moving forward, you're not going to get to where you need to get to. And that is like one of the most simplistic statements I know one could ever make, but what holds people back, at least in my experience is just not doing it. And so getting off your ass and doing whatever it is you need to do is critical. In addition to, you know, having the right mindset. What's your thoughts on that? I completely agree with this, Mike, because um, in today's day and age, like we have so much social media, like everyone listens to Simon Sinek, right? But then it's about implementation, right. about what actions we listen or what our mind tells us. So I completely agree. It's it's about in, mindset is there, but then we have to turn it into action. And I completely agree. Um, we have to bring the discipline within us that I'll take this tough path and I'll bring the discipline within myself to achieve um, the outcomes where this path takes me to. So two things you've talked about today are, first of all, building a network of people that are there for you, that can really help you, that can advise you, that can guide you, that can just listen to you. You talked about your sister, your mom, and some of these other relationships. But there's also this idea of self-reliance, like I need to do it on my own as well. And, and so thinking about your experiencing experiences and thinking about any advice you would have for you know, folks that are listening, how, how should people balance this notion of self-reliance versus depending on others? Ah, interesting question. Um, one thing that we all must be open to is that there's no harm asking for help when we are completely down and out. So to elaborate more on that, self-reliance should be a personal vision for everyone where we should be knowing how to manage ourselves mentally and physically, right? Do our, our, our daily routine tasks, as well as be able to manage our mind. But at times, we'll always be in a position where we're not able to move, we're not able to take action. And that's where, when you're completely out of the game, that's when you should look into taking help from someone else. Now, again, when we talk about taking help from someone else, 
it's very important to know from whom we're taking help from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because in my case, um, society has been pretty harsh on me uh, for the beginning years, at least. So one thing that I understood is do not go everywhere asking for help. Do not go everywhere for advice because if you're going to do that, you'll end up going to listen to advices from 8 billion people on this planet, which is not going to help us. Prioritize or focus just on three or four people who you trust the most. Listen to them. And that's where help comes from. Right? When you depend on these three, four people because they depend on me as well. That's when that relation gets relationship gets created and that's when we can just move forward uh, both ways. Not just me, but even the person from whom I'm asking help from. I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that idea of being extremely discerning in where you go for help is important. The the one thing I would I would also add is that sometimes, at least this is my experience, this may not be yours, but Sometimes you find those people in the most unlikeliest of places, meaning like something bad happens in your life. You're like, oh, I know exactly who I need to go to. And oftentimes that's like existing family and friends. But what I found, especially in times uh, that I've had where it's been difficult, it's people that I didn't necessarily have that deep of a friendship with, but there was a connection that was built over time because they were there for me um, and they gave me exactly what I needed at that moment. And so what I would say is, is don't necessarily just go to the people that are around you. There may be people that can help you that you don't even know are out there. And then the other thing is sometimes those people are going to tell you things that you may not want to hear in that moment. And that's not bad. And I've appreciated that quite a bit. Yes, that's an interesting point, And I completely agree with that too, because um, sometimes reality or, or truth is always sour. It's, it's not going to be sweet yeah. all the time. <laughs> um, but it's good when someone gives us that feedback, right? Like it's straight from the heart. It's, it's not sugar-coated in any way. So I appreciate that too. Um, so Kieran, second to last question. How can somebody make peace from a life-altering event? Because when I listen to your story, obviously you had this challenge when you were nine years old. You had a really rough five years. You started to figure things out. You've made peace with your life now. What would you say somebody should consider or should do when they have a life-altering event, which could be many different things? How can they make peace from that? I would say it's all about perspective, whether you see the cup half cup empty or half cup full. So we all have challenges, and it's important to know that there's always going to be a bright side. It's only about noticing it, looking at it. Because when we uh, face such kind of situations, the first thing we look at, oh, damn, everything is torn apart, life's apart. Like, even at work, like, someone could think, like, oh, damn, like, it's it's gone, right? Like, the day is bad, so my entire life, career, everything is just destroyed. But that's not the case. We need to realize that there's always going to be a bright side. It's only about realization and looking at that. Best way to achieve it is by keeping a very stable head and, and trying to look at that bright side. So I'd always say it's, it's all about looking at the bright side and take action 
to move towards the bright side. Um, days would be bad. I'm not saying everything would get resolved in a day's time, but then we will see results someday. Till that day, be confident in ourselves and push hard as much as we can. Keep working hard. We'll fall, but you have to tell yourself, I'll stand up again the next day. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's clear is you cannot, not you, but just a proverbial you, you cannot avoid challenges, obstacles, bad things happening in life. No chance. And I think one of the things that we've established, and once again, um, I think this has been established by other guests and many other stories in life, is that obstacles and challenges actually are the good things in life because it's actually what gives in that discomfort the ability to grow. And so one of the things that I've been trying to do, although it's not really easy, especially when things do go sideways, is to look at the bad things as that opportunity to grow. And I try to do that now in the moment because I know that if I use the situation in the right way, I'm going to come out on the other end better than I am today. And so as odd as that may sound, it's like use those challenges or not have a belief system that those challenges are going to be good things for you in the moment in which they happen. Yes, yes. I I use this very um, commonly, this analogy with all my friends is that diamonds are just not made just like that. They go through a lot of heat, a lot of sharpening, and that's when they're made. And the same goes with humans. We can be our better selves only when challenges are thrown at us, not when we're just sitting back and just letting life go through. Love it. So, Kieran, it's been, I'm trying to do the math, 16 years since you started this journey. Can you believe that? As you reflect on those 16 years, is there a song that comes to mind that brings to life the journey that you're on? Um, there is one song. It's a bit different. It's out of the box. But it's the song of the ocean. It's the waves mm. of the ocean. I'm someone who's driven by nature. Um, and ocean has played a very big role in the way I am. Because it teaches me a lot. Like, you look at the waves, right? They keep coming at you. They keep coming day in, day out. No stop. And that's what I want to be. That's perseverance. Uh, personified out there and even if you see in the ocean or sea there could be a rock right in the middle um, preventing the waves to reach us but eventually it reaches the shore that uh, tells me that there could be a lot of obstacles like no eyesight or some other obstacles but we can overcome them and finally reach where we want to be so my song is is the waves And it's slightly different from the usual recommendations. But for me, I would say that's the song I relate to the most. I love that. One of the things that I oftentimes meditate to um, are just the sounds of waves. And so I guess what I will say is tonight when I meditate, I'll put on the waves and I will think about this conversation. Um, Kieran, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story, being open and vulnerable sharing the depths that you went to and how you've really bounced back and, and how you're truly making an impact. And, and even just the, 
things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, like looking at a, a crazy Excel spreadsheet and how you've been innovative and come up with ways to work around it. Um, and then your mindset about how you want people to treat you. And, and once again, how you want to help people selflessly in your life based on everything that you've learned. I, I really appreciate sharing your story today. I appreciate Maria. Maria, I know you'll be listening. Thank you for connecting Karen and I, um, and hopefully everybody enjoys this conversation. So thank you, Karen. Thank you so much, Mike. Karen, thank you for sharing your story. It was raw and unbelievably vulnerable, but more importantly, inspirational. You have given hope to those who may feel like their current situation is insurmountable. You've also demonstrated that you can choose the life you want. You've shown how little bit of innovation can help create new ways of doing things to get around what is holding you back. And more importantly, you've shown that you can create a life that is fulfilling when you give back to others who are going through their own personal hell. I really appreciate the gift of your story and how much you have accomplished at such a young age. I can't really can't wait to see how your life unfolds over the next several years. I have a hunch that this is only the beginning. If you like my conversation with Kieran, go back to past episodes to hear other amazing stories of people who are lost or broken and who are now singing their song. Big thank you to everyone who listens to Time to Sing Your Song and being a part of this community that I am building. My goal is to help everyday people like you and me use the hard times as a catalyst to create a life that we are all meant to live. Until next time, start singing your song today because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good. <laughs>